Interac helps Canadians access funds their way. Products like Interact Debit and Interact eTransfer have made Money Mobile, taking it from the confines of traditional banking and ushering it into the digital age. As consumers adapt to new technology, so does Interact. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quality Content on the 2020 Network presented by Interact. I'm your host, Alex Patterson. Now, this may shock you, but I'm not a ballet dancer. And I mean, if you see me at weddings, you'll know I'm not really any kind of dancer. But if there is someone in Canada who can make a non-mover like myself believe in the power and community of dance, it's Mavis Staines. The celebrated ballerina, choreographer, and arts advocate is next up in my series with this year's recipients of the Governor General Performing Arts Awards. Mavis began her career as a promising new performer, traveling and dancing at home and abroad until an accidental fall down some stairs cut her performing days short. But not one to let catastrophe define her career, Mavis has since spent her days being one of Canada's fiercest defenders of the arts working to make dance and movement programs accessible to all Canadians, regardless of your background. Mavis and I spoke about her life and career, what the award means to her, and how communities are strengthened when we decide to simply get up and move. I think you'll enjoy it. And joining me on the line from Toronto, it's Mavis Staines, the Artistic Director and CEO of Canada's National Ballet School. Mavis, hello. Hello. How, How are, are you? you? I'm, I'm fantastic. <laughs> How are you today? Oh, I'm fine on this first day of April. On this very first day, it's sunny here in Ottawa. I hope it's sunny there in Toronto, and it and it and it ought to be sunny because good things are happening for you. You are the recipient of uh, one of this year's Governor General Performing Arts Awards. Um, first and foremost, congratulations. Thank you. I, I want to know, how did you find out that you were one of this year's recipients? Hmm. Well, I, I received a, a message through a colleague that uh, there was an individual linked with the uh, GGAA who wanted to speak with me. And I'd spoken with this person several times over the past 20, 25 years when they were um, looking for ideas for jurors or um, for proposals for um, possible uh, um, honorees. So I assumed that that's why I was being asked to phone. So it was administrative. You thought it was, I'm, I, I, I want to be asked, they're looking for my advice. Exactly. So, um, so much to your surprise. Yes, and uh, I'm not speechless very often, but I was speechless for such a long time that the lovely individual I was speaking to had to say, are you okay? And I said, <laughs> yes, but speechless. <laughs> uh, well, why speechless, though? I, I mean, you've, you've, you're a member of the Order of Canada. Um, you have the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. Not saying that you're, you're used to receiving awards like this, because I imagine you never get used to it, but um, you, uh, you are very deserving. Well, I, I think the reason speechless because um, the work that I do is really uh, work that is about collaboration and community. And I know right. I have the privilege of uh, taking the lead with ideas and big dreams, but I'm surrounded by such 
extraordinarily talented people and people with um, uh, inspiring integrity who who believe in the importance of the arts and the importance of, of dance and ballet that I never think of it as solo work. So um, it took me by surprise because um, I don't think of uh, myself as the person who is doing this work. I think of myself as part of a collective with the good fortune, as I said, to uh, draw really gifted people into uh, ideas that we care about profoundly. Well, so take me back to where this all started. You you hail from the Eastern Townships in Quebec. Um, What was it like growing up there? Well, um, do you know I had a chance to grow up all across Canada, so I wish that I had stayed a little bit longer into the in the eastern townships. We moved to Ottawa when I was uh, almost three, and then we moved to Vancouver when I was eight, and then I came to Toronto uh, at the age of 13 when I first entered NBS. In those cities... Um, do you feel like you had more access to dance and it was an easier path for you to get into uh, the arts? No question. But I think what was such a gift at the time that I was uh, a little girl was the uh, um, momentum post-war to um, um, provide opportunities for children, for boys and girls equally that... um, uh, community centers, uh, boys and girls clubs were really active, and um, it was because of free lessons in a community center in Ottawa and my parents being able to buy ballet slippers with food stamps that I was able to uh, take ballet lessons. And uh, then there were so many times in the um, subsequent years um, when there was pressure around the cost of lessons that the dance teachers that I would be studying with would say to my parents, then we'll, we'll give Mavis um, dance classes free of charge. So there are a lot of people um, to whom I'm indebted who are really guardian angels for me. And your, your performing career uh, w- was not just in Canada. It was abroad. I mean, you traveled internationally. Um, I, I think it's a very rare thing um, to be an artist in the ballet arts, traveling abroad—that's a really unique. It's a very small community of people. So, what's it mm-hmm. like? What's what was life like for a young dancer, you know, traveling and performing abroad? It was uh, deeply rewarding, um, and of course, hard work. But when you're doing something that um, makes you feel um, fully alive, um, the hardship is not doing it. So right. um, it, I think, um, I think artists for a long time, and certainly what I experienced was an in-person global community. We talk about the global community through uh, technology and social media, but um, this was for me like being a Freemason in medieval Europe, but with <laughs> uh, uh, jet airplanes, so that. Uh, you really were part of a global community, but you got um, all of these uh, um, rich learning experiences through um, in-person creation and collaborative creation. And you have spoken about this a lot. I mean, your performing career was cut short by an accident. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, I mean, you have spoken about that moment of your life, you know, like like just a real catastrophe. And I I wonder, (laughs) you know, 
how do you not just move paths that, but actually turn that into something useful and productive? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I certainly um, was not able to feel as though I was doing that in the moment because the um, intensity of emotion, I think, for nearly all of us when transition is thrust upon us rather than it being a choice, um, it's only when enough time has passed that you can look at the uh, overall picture and think, oh my goodness, had it not been for that catastrophe or series of catastrophes, I wouldn't have done that learning and I wouldn't have been um, in the place where I could seize that opportunity. So um, it it took me um, probably about five or six years to stop grieving um, the opportunity to perform, but um, I gradually got immersed in other things and then one day thought, my gosh, what the... Um, uh, depth of self-discovery and the opportunity to contribute in what feels um, uh, a more complete way for who I am as a person is now outweighing the richness of being a performer, and I don't miss performing any longer. But that that was a good five to ten years to go yeah. through the whole cycle. Um that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I don't think anyone yeah. was. I don't think anyone would uh, begrudge you for not hurrying that process along. I, I, I think that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm doing this this interview series. I'm actually speaking with uh, your your fellow recipients this year. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, it's it's been really fantastic. In you know, in in speaking to you all, I, I think you know I notice uh, similarities and and also uh, some differences. And and I think one of the things that's really unique. Um, and, and why I was, you know, one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you today was you're one, I think of the only people I'm talking to who has had both a career as a performer and has also gone on to work sort of in the administration and, um, the institutions of the arts. And so, um, I think what's interesting about institutions is that they, they sometimes tend to kill your love of things. And so I, I, I wonder for yourself, I mean, how do you maintain your connection and passion to the arts that, mm. that you are a part of the administration mm. and institution of? Mm. Well, um, the most direct way is that I teach two hours every day. So Every day? Um, I, yes. So oh, wow. I'm in... I'm in the studio every day, and uh, that is um, something that just keeps me absolutely connected to the essence of why I fell in love with uh, the language of dance, all dance, and, and the arts. And then, i it's funny, I don't think of my job as administrative. I think of it as more organizational. So, to... Um, be at the front lines of um, making sure that, as I said in, in the quote that I was asked to put forward, that we cherish the master's fire, we don't guard their ashes, that um, there's, there's a chance to make systemic changes that um, allow the process of educating artists, dancers, um, to evolve in ways that make 
the experience and the art itself better um, just uh, feels as creative as being a performer and especially because uh, we've been able to build the dream to a point now where um, yes there is a a program that um, is absolutely linked to my heart uh, to produce Olympic caliber um, world-class professional ballet dancers, but um, more than anything to make sure that Canada's National Ballet School is sharing dance and that we are at the forefront of um, finding genuine, authentic ways so that um, Canadians of all ages and backgrounds experience dance in their lives and the benefits of that. <laughs> that's that's one of the, the things I wanted to to talk to you about, which is what the Canadian National Ballet School actually looks like. Because I mean, I'll admit that like my conception of what a ballet school looks like is, and that's this is very much informed by popular culture, but it's very stuffy. Um, mm-hmm. And and I, I I'm gonna make the assumption that that's not reality. So I mean, like, what does your institution actually look like? Like, what what <laughs> what, what what is what is day to day like at um, mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. Uh, at the CMBS? Well, it's uh, an absolute um, hive of activity, so that there are uh, programs running from eight o'clock in the morning until almost nine thirty at night, and that's. Uh, um, on the weekends as well, and there are um, uh, ever-increasing numbers of ways that through technology and through partnerships that we've built across Canada, that in addition to the uh, program that I mentioned for uh, the rare youth who has the a passion and the microchip and the uh, vessel that suits classical ballet can study here and go to academic school here and we have our residents. In addition to that, there are programs for um, seniors, for seniors living with uh, Parkinson's, with dementia, for um, children in public schools, support systems for um, the teachers who teach dance in our public schools and um, also uh, just increasing ways that we can um, uh, make sure that with Canada being such a diverse nation for uh, families where um, they may never even um, hear the word ballet more than uh, you know, a handful of times in their life, that through experiencing moving to music, whether it's their children or a grandparent or they themselves, um, recognize that, that this is something that um, makes each of us feel more at home in ourselves and more like giving back to the world. That's the testimonial we hear more than anything. So it's a very strong community builder. And should some of those children find that they love dancing so much that they want to consider ballet, we also have built a network. So kids like I was where um, uh, affording classes was a challenge, we'll have a network of schools that they can go to where they'll have the chance to start studying dance because um, it feels like their language, whatever their economic background. Let's talk a bit about, you know, access and funding. Um, You know, 
a large part of who has access to the arts is driven by by arts funding. How, how are you feeling right now about sort of support for and and momentum behind arts funding, either in Canada, in Ontario, uh, at the local level? Mm-hmm. Like, how are you feeling? My goodness, that's a, a complex question. I think um, a, as much as when we go through these uh, belt tightening periods of time. It is uh, uh, tremendously frustrating. I also have to pause and say the uh, um, amount of taxpayers' money that is channeled towards the arts and what that has allowed to be accomplished is something that I am really grateful for. Mm -hmm. There are Mm -hmm. um, many um, uh, countries around the world where the situation is much more difficult than in Canada. Um, I think that it's incumbent upon uh, the arts community to continue showing why it is that um, the arts, and of course I'm speaking um, specifically uh, about dance in this instance, but the arts overall uh, is something that is um, more important today than ever before because uh, we too so easily just live in virtual reality. So if we're going to stay cohesive and balanced and whole as a society, then we really need the arts. But we as the artists have to be the ones that provide the evidence that shows why. And we have to be the ones who make programs accessible so that when there are cuts, that uh, Canadians rise up and say, you, you can't cut that. It's, um, that. That matters too much. That's keeping us um, out of hospitals. That's lowering health care costs. That's making kids um, better scholars. And um, it's just too short-sighted to consider that that's the first thing that should get squeezed. So we have not yet achieved that, but I think there is now the awareness that that's the route to go. And there is a, a building of grassroots, again, I'm going to use the word authentic relationships, that makes me believe that I may not see it in my lifetime, but I do believe that um, there will be a time in the future where there's uh, um, uh, immediate acknowledgement uh, that it is thanks to dance and the arts that um, people stay healthier. Last question for you, and, and this is something that your other fellow honorees have, have described, is in, in receiving of, of these kinds of awards, um, which are national in scope and, um, uh, you know, sort of marked as like a lifetime of achievement, they've described sort of a sense of duty that comes along with that award. Um, which I think is, that's, that's kind of rare. I mean, when someone gets an Oscar, it's not like they necessarily have a duty <laughs> to you know, be in more celebrated movies. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, do, does that resonate with you? Absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, um, as I said in the, uh, um, video message that we were each asked to make, it made me so proud. It makes me so proud to be a Canadian and it feels like a platform for saying thank you and for saying that um, I do feel 
as though in terms of nationalities and citizenship by being Canadian we have all won a lottery of life and um, the with privilege comes responsibility to give back and um, life's meaning is determined by what we contribute well that's a fantastic place to leave it Mavis thank you so much for joining me today and again congratulations on uh, a truly well-deserved award thank you to uh, everyone involved and thank you for your interest Quality content is hosted by me, Alex Patterson. My producer today was Sarah Turnbull, and my editor was Olivia Levesque. The 2020 Network is presented by Interac and is a production of Canada 2020, Canada's leading independent progressive think tank. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps more curious and engaged listeners like yourselves find us. As well, if you would like to give us some feedback on how we're doing, what you like, what you don't like, new episode or guest ideas, we're listening. You can follow me at Alex G. Patterson on Twitter or send me an email at alex at canada2020.ca. Finally, my weekly reminder for you to subscribe to the Canada 2020 mailing list. We have a few special events and projects coming up where I guarantee that you will want to be first in the know. So head over to Canada2020.ca and make sure you're signed up. That's it for me. Until next time.